so we have a project. We have a project. We call it OM Champion Project. Hello and welcome to the Marseille View. I'm Stefan and I'm in the host seat tonight. It's a final pod before the new season starts, so we thought we'd bring you a season preview episode to get ready for the new campaign. We're going to look back on the pre-season performances briefly before spending much of the show looking at looking ahead at the 2021 season, giving our thoughts on what we think is in store for Marseille this year. We'll also cover some new stories and transfer rumours as we always do during the Mercato season. Now joining me tonight is very much a, well was very much a usual lineup. sorry, but um, Ben was meant to join us but he's had to pull out after some last minute travel disruptions. Hope you get home soon, Ben. Um, but I've got, gladly, I've got um, two other guests with us. So I've got Luca, who's back with us after a short absence. Um, good to have you back, Luca. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to be back. It's been a long time since I last got back. I think it must have been just, just after COVID happened. It's been it's been enjoyable to be on the, the listeners' end of it and uh, like following a podcast from a fan perspective. Uh, but yes, it's, it's definitely great to be back. I definitely finally happy to get back into another season uh, with a bit of an asterisk maybe we never know how the how the preseason games have happened we might not start as soon as we thought <laughs> yeah so you're not put off by football then after the sort of sickening week we've had watching uh, our rivals in Europe you know well you know what last last I think I don't know if it's last podcast two podcasts ago Arno said something you know that he was he was he found out that he was not so addicted to football but more addicted to Marseille because like he he didn't want to watch Bundesliga and stuff. And I'm very much on that same wavelength where I had no interest in watching, you know, like empty stadiums with football from random teams. I was like, that's how I found out that if it's not Marseille or, or the rivals, I just I honestly I just don't care. So I've enjoyed Champions League, but I mean, again, it's a bit it's a bit bittersweet, isn't it? You get to watch high football, but the results is just not there for us. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um... Mo, we've also got you joining us, so hi Mo, you alright? Hello, yeah, good, thanks. Good, um, are you excited that we're getting close to the start of the new season then? Um, yeah, no, it's been a long time um, looking, you know, watching our team in competitive action, so um, yeah, it should be good, unlike unlike maybe you guys, I've probably feasted a lot of football um, uh, during, during the lockdown and... Um, even even tuned into Korean football once. Um, I was that desperate. I think it was early May. Um, <laughs> very very Korean good. <laughs> yeah, it was on. It was it was actually on the BBC. Um, one one. I think everybody tried to get their fix as much as they could. Um, yeah, I know. But it was. It turned out to be a very interesting game. But no, no, it's the real thing starting on Friday. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Brilliant. Okay, so um, I think we'll just get started and crack on. Um, so I thought what start off with was just a kind of quick um, recap about of the pre-season really or lack of pre-season so I think since we last podcasted um, I think when we last podcasted we played our first game against Pinsgal Ping, um, mm-hmm. and then we played another team after that I can't remember what they were called unfortunately You did a better job of than Villas Boas to, to spell Pinsgal in the prep in the in the post post game conference, he got the name of the team wrong right afterwards. <laughs> well, I think I spelt it wrong in the promo graphic that we put out for that game. But anyway, yeah. Um, so after that, we, yeah. After that, we played another team, and then was it Bayern after that? I think Montpellier Bayern was, was cancelled. Slovakian team before right. Bayern, which we lost. That's um, right, and and then it was Bayern, and then two cancelled friendly. Oh, Neem, and then Neem either side of two cancelled friendlies. 
I mean, for my end, anyway, it seems very forgetful. I don't know. What did what do you yeah. guys think? Did you get to catch any of the preseason action? Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I caught, I think, all of the games that ended up happening. Uh, because, obviously, thank God this year we actually had a legit stream to watch it on with, with the Twitch TV instead of watching it <laughs> through someone's phone that kept, I mean, blocking off. Um, the games Cheers, were, Darren, I don't know. <laughs> Uh-huh. Well, you remember those days, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, Darren, for 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 helping us with the streams. <laughs> um, but I mean, they were decently enjoyable. Um, but the, I mean, we talked about this. I've talked about this on Twitter. I, I've I've got quite a lot of difficulty understanding the point of these games. I understand it's early in the preseason, so you don't want to play against a big team. But it's what is the point of playing a third division Slovakian team, fourth division German team, and then? Playing Bayern Munich, who are in tip-top shape, ready to play Champions League. For me, it just made the whole preseason thing made no sense. And the fact that we had to cancel all of the meaningful preseason games leads us to the first game of of Ligue 1 with no reference as to what the actual shape of our team is. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I, I agree to some extent. Um, I mean, normally you'd want preseason to go sort of in sort of a sending format where you play. I mean, it's, I think it's, there's nothing wrong with playing third division, fourth division teams, like right at the beginning, just to sort of just see, you know, where you're at. Uh, um, you know, this really just is a training session. But, um, you know, the fact that we played three teams um, of rather relatively amateurish quality, and then Bayern Munich for, for you know, quote unquote commercial reasons, um, yeah, seems a bit bit mad and the team obviously played Nîmes last weekend but that was that was quite dire um, for both teams I mean it really looked um, not at all um, anything resembling you know something competitive and then Montpellier and Struga especially Struga being um, a week before the league resumes especially that you know in a month's time we're going to be playing the likes of PSG and Lille um, that would have been sort of a good barometer. Um, you had that with sort of Napoli last year. We, you know, played, I think, Ajax and Benfica and teams like this, you know, a couple of years back, you know, in, in late July, early August, uh, just before the season uh, began. But, um, yeah, I agree. There's not really a lot of reference as to where we stand. Um, and, um, I mean, some of it, obviously, we can't really manage, obviously, with the COVID tests um, happening. Um but I guess we just have to really sort of start with, you know, all guns blazing on Friday. Yeah, I, and I'm fine. I think we've th- we've seen this thing on on Google where Marseille is like in, it's like it's like inversely correlated. Where if we do really good preseason, we have a shit season, and then vice versa. But I mean, we're gonna play the first few games. We're gonna play Saint Etienne, who have already played meaningful football with the French Cup final. PSG and Lyon, who are both deep in the Champions League, so they will be up and running and like red hot. And then on the other side, we've got us, who like we've played one professional team since since March. It's 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 not reassuring. It, not like tactically, I'm not worried about the actual quality of football, but in what physical shape we're going to get our players is the big question. Yeah, I would I would. Um... Agree with that. There are some worries about the lack of action and competitive action throughout that preseason. Um, okay, so I think what we'll we'll just move on actually to talk about the the league and season then because you know thinking about those cancelled games throughout the preseason, um, you know we've seen Jordan Amavi get coronavirus. We saw the game. Um, Against um, what was it? We were playing the other day. Sorry, that was cancelled. Um, who was it? Sorry, my mind's gone blank. What was the game? Stuttgart. Stuttgart, yeah. And then before that, the Montpellier game cancelled because a number of players had tested positive from from coronavirus. So that's kind of um, left a few concerns really about not just about our lack of action, but also when the season starts, what's going to happen when as players do test positive before games, are they going to cancel games like they've cancelled friendlies? I doubt it, but I don't know. Is there any concerns that um, the season ahead could be disrupted by these sort of isolated cases, do you think? Uh, um, yeah, no, I think the concerning thing for me is that there doesn't seem to be, and I might be wrong here, but from what I can see, 
Um, there doesn't seem to be sort of some sort of protocol. Um, you know, players have been allowed to sort of go on holiday in between games. I think we saw a couple of them, you know, having, you know, house gatherings or like after the Bayern Munich game, having a couple of days here and there, etc., which is absolutely fine in pre-season. Um, whereas obviously before, right at the start of pre-season, like in um, early July, uh, the team were spending sort of 11 days in a Portuguese resort, like very sort of tightly um, together. Um, and there doesn't seem to be sort of a league-wide protocol yet. Um, you know, UEFA have put through, you know, a long list of regulations if there was a COVID-affected um, uh, match as to what should happen, who would go through, uh, what the procedure would be, etc. And then obviously you've seen in England, um, like during Project Restart, you know, to get the football season finished, they were very, very um, sort of strict in terms of what could, what could happen, you know, where players should be able to go. Players would go to sort of home training hotel, match and then so on so on and obviously that happened in germany as well and spain in some degree basically all the all the leagues that finished in europe had that um but there doesn't seem to be any sort of protocol for 2020-21 season um so i mean it's it's a tough ask to you know tell players you know you'll be tested i mean i guess they'll be tested twice a week or three times a week or whatever but for them to be you know kept away from their families or, or restricted travel just to get you know football matches over the line um i mean the good thing is we're what two days from after marvi's case and i'm guessing all the players took a test again on friday to confirm that um and we've not heard any additional positive tests therefore we should be all you know ready to go um when the season begins um but it's the league that should be taking priority on this, um, you know, and setting down the rules. But we've not heard anything about that. And it's not just Marseille, of course, there's many other teams who are reporting like lots of cases recently. Yeah, I think uh, it's just a, like the way it's just a joke. We've, we finished this league, we finished the, the, the league in March, seeing at least in France that like the government will not hesitate to shut down the league, like despite of what, what, what the French league wants and the FFP wants. Um, but like we're now six months later. And again, like we've, Jordan Murphy was, was tested positive yesterday and we have got no idea the implication that has on the next game. So we're just assuming that, well, he's going to be left out of the squad for two weeks and then the rest of the squad is going to take a test and be negative. But what, what happens if a player is positive like the day before the game? Like, I'm just going to have to cancel it? It's, exactly. it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to, that there isn't like a contingency plan or like some sort of plan. I've, I'm, that's why I wanted Mo to go first because I've talked about this on Twitter as well. Is, um, other leagues, the NFL, the NBA, they've got massive, ma- massive debates and talks about how are we going to do next season? You know, what, what are we going to do a bubble? Are we going to restrict players' comings and goings? What happens? How many tests are we going to do? And all this is laid out perfectly. So we know we've got plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. And in, in football, because it's not just France, in football in general, we're just basically sitting and waiting for another pandemic to happen or positive cases that are happening to happen. And then we're like, well, what should we do? And like that's just ridiculous. Because if we're talking about like health-wise... If Jordan Amavi is positive, like if we follow the government's advice, everyone he's been in contact with, so the whole team, has to self-isolate for 14 days. We're going to play a season where when you look at the actual calendar of the season with Champions League, with with Cups and stuff, within 14 days, there can be four to five games. Mm-hmm. So, like, are we going to need, like, squads of 40 players just in, or two different squads training like separate just in case someone gets positive we we've got no idea what's happening and that just opens for me the likelihood of the league or the, the season to continue to finish isn't next to zero. Oh really but how what's going to happen when you're going to have marseille against psg and then mbappe neymar is positive and and payet is positive for example like what do we just play with the reserves then no, yeah. they're going to postpone the game until when? Like I think that's an interesting thing as well. Is like, will it make a difference about who it is that tests positive? You know, what if the big stars 
that are unavailable? Well, that, do you think and, that we might and, see different responses? And that leaves the door for teams to lie and to hide results. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fair point. Like I said, it all goes down to the lack of regulations that have been set. And it's very surprising for, for obviously the one league that cancelled very, very early on not to put in place a protocol, um, a health protocol going forward um, and not communicate that. Um, because, you know, if we take, for example, you know, the league begins on Friday night, Marseille play at home. Um, and will play in front of 5,000 um, supporters. But, you know, currently, as as we record this, you know, it's Marseille that has the, um, the, the recent highest level of COVID in France or the active cases um, or some of the clusters that happen in France. So they're sort of in, in, a, in, a, in a red zone um, at the moment, and Paris is the other major zone. Um, so the likelihood of, you know, of transmission there is probably higher but then if there's no protocol nothing could we be um, adversely affected over the next couple of weeks etc because you know the season's already beginning very late um, there's not a lot of available match days left um, you know we're going to be playing six weeks in a row um, in October Champions League group games um, you know the cups will be ongoing we're playing more midweeks this year um, and we've already got a very, very thin squad um, as as it is, you know, and no one's really left yet either. So it's 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 concerning that sort of we're just sort of like Lucas said, you know, sitting on our hands and just waiting for something to happen. Um, and I fear that you know, obviously, in other leagues, they've got the experience of having these bubbles and um, you know, restricting teams' access and playing, even though the health situation isn't great. And I think the Premier League did a wonderful job to get uh, matches completed um, in June and July. Um, but, yeah, nothing yet for, for Liga. Mm. OK. Um, I guess one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was, and you've kind of touched upon this earlier on, Luke, but how do you guys feel about the fact that we're going to be playing games with limited fans in the stadium? So I think we're talking about up to 5,000 fans until... You know, it'll be October. Well, that's in, well, that's still in place. It could be longer. Um, and I know that there's there's maybe some powers locally to to adjust that. But yeah, how do you think is that? How is that going to impact the spectacle? But also, how is that going to impact um, Marseille's um, confidence? Um. Well, I think it's going to impact it quite a lot. And we're talking about October, but let's face it, like we've just discussed the, how ridiculous the plans are. It's probably going to be extended by the government. Um, maybe not, like like continually after October, maybe it's going to be brought back in January or February or March until the end of the season. Um, but we've seen, I mean, the, the Bundesliga for the, like when they finished their season, normally the win rate for home team was something like 70 to 75%. And after the, the post-COVID, the home team was winning 30% of the time. So they were actually less likely to win if you're home than if you're away. And we, like, we love to rave about Marseille's home advantage and stuff. And it is real. And a lot of the times we do depend on, on it for wins against smaller teams. We need that extra push because our squad was very thin last year. And you're banking on people overachieving. How does a player over, overachieve? Well, one way is for a player to be like pushed by the fans and have like feel like like the adrenaline pumping by having like 50,000, 60,000 people screaming, or like screaming in a stadium. And they're not going to get that. Like, I know it's going to be a league-wide issue, but, you know, we're talking about the a team, Marseille, that has the most fans, like an average stadium every match day. So it is going to affect us. But I'm more sad about football in general than I'm sad for us in particular. I think, for me, watching football in empty stadiums is just—it's just depressing. Mm, yeah, um, I suppose one thing you could say is that we've got a lot of practice with playing behind empty stadium, playing with an empty stadium, given how many we claw we've had over the years because of all the issues. Um, and I think we've been doing quite well when playing in empty stadiums. We do quite well. I mean, Europa League aside, 
um, when we played the whole Europa League group stages in an empty stadium. But other than that, I think we do quite well in empty stadiums. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perhaps. Um, yeah, Mo, what about you? Are you worried about that, um, playing to such a small number of fans? Or do you think that it won't affect us too much? Well, it's, you know, it's better than nothing. It's better than nothing, isn't it? Um, many, many teams obviously playing with no no fans whatsoever. Um, so five thousand seems seems relatively fair. Although, like I said uh, previously, it's a bit unfair for for Marseille to just have you know five thousand fans allowed because obviously Monaco would have no problem getting five thousand fans in and probably make no difference to what they're used to um, for ninety percent of the home games. Um, same for teams like uh, uh, Brest or or, or um, Angers or whatever. You know, very small stadiums. They'll have a quarter. Um, so by you know, for me, a percentage of the stadium's capacity should be better. In, you know, it should be a better plan. You know, you could easily fit fifteen thousand um, and distance them very very well at the Velodrome than uh, five thousand at Brest or or wherever. Um, so for me, I find that a bit strange. Um, and obviously, the more fans that we've had on call, uh, the better. Um, you know, the situation will be the more maybe normality would set in. Um, and I've I've noticed that obviously I've seen that we've made an application to to have twenty thousand fans, but that was rejected, which makes sense obviously given the the current um, cluster situation in Marseille, but. Um, you know, for what games would you allow 20,000 fans in? Because it's definitely not going to be the big games for fear of, um, you know, people going a bit nuts. I do think that the matches that I've seen throughout lockdown, the, the you know, the, how do you say, the ambience, the atmosphere is kind of varied. You know, some games I've seen have looked really flat and there's not been much effort. It seems to kind of emulate the fans, you know, the singing, the, the chants and stuff. And the other games I've seen where I've watched them, honestly, I wouldn't even have noticed if I didn't know that there wasn't any fans there. Yeah, no, that's not right, though. That's not... For the Champions League, they've been, they've been obviously they've put like the voiceover for the cameras and stuff. I think it's even more disrespectful because for me, I'd refuse to even entertain that idea because it just, it just opens the gate to just not have fans and to like just basically make the whole the whole event just artificial and put fake fan chants and stuff it's i don't know just just a sight of it Absolutely. for me just you makes, just makes me sad. That's a bad idea <laughs> well i think i don't think it's in anyone's interest to not have fans there in the long term though is it let's face it because of them the the money that you know gate receipts bring but i don't know but yeah maybe in the short term okay so um yeah just thinking about the actual season ahead so Looking at the fixtures, our first six games of the season are pretty tough, you know. So we've got Saint-Étienne, then we've got Brest, then we've got Paris Saint-Germain, mm. followed by Lille, Metz and then Lyon. So we've got a really tough start to the season and I don't know at what point the Champions League starts. Um, yeah, I don't know if we know the date or not. October 20. Okay. So not within a couple of weeks after that. So it's, you can imagine that this um, early period of the season might be kind of decisive, no, f- uh, for our season? Yeah. Um, and it goes back to what you were saying earlier, because of the lack of sort of rigorous action during um, pre-season, that we really need to sort of hit the ground running. So by the end of the month, six points out of six um, is very key, key because obviously... Paris Saint-Germain is going to be uh, a tough fixture. And, uh, I know probably Luca might not like it, but AVB could very well be within his rights to tank that again. Um, it will, would probably be potentially... Don't you dare. Uh, yeah, it could potentially be, fingers crossed, you know, their first home game after whatever sort of, uh, you know... if they, if they don't, do. don't say it either. Yeah, You're I'm not going to say that. You know what I'm, what I'm alluding to. Hopefully, you know, Leipzig will put put an end to that. But yeah, six points out of six is very, very important. Um, I, I feel confident with our home games. So Lille and Mets, we should, fingers crossed, by the end of September, have four wins and one one loss. You know, 
Um, we are we are very strong at home. The team, but you know, we haven't lost anybody yet, and the transfer window isn't going to shut till October. So therefore, we can start the season with a full complement um, of players. Um, and um, yeah, I, I'm I'm really confident that we should start well. And then you know, looking at the first sort of couple of weeks of Champions League action, know that. The Champions League is going to be now every week rather than every two weeks. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's not really a difficult winter post-Champions League games, which therefore should aid, aid rotation. It should aid sort of recovery and the chances of getting more and more points as well. Um, I, you know, fingers crossed, you know, this team, I, I somehow forget, only lost four times last season, which is very, very, a very small number. Um so fingers crossed that you know AVB is able to get the best out of them because we need that start because they are some of our most difficult games of the season. Yeah, um, I I mean I agree, I I agree with well it's more like I can understand what Marseille the Marseille board was thinking because I do believe that the first five games um, in the French league you're allowed to put in a request as to the kind of teams that you would like to play. Um, so that's why you get small teams that often play against um, small teams play against like PSG early on because they like to have to catch them as as they're a bit complacent. So I understand what the Marseille ball was doing by piling up the big games first, and then when the Champions League come comes in at one game a week, you can rotate players on more like easier games. Like I see November, you've got Lance, you've got Nîmes, you've got Nice, which is not not a bad team, but not a great team either. So I understand what they're thinking, but you know, like I said at the start, you know, we're going to play PSG, who have who will have played about five games high pressure, Lyon, who would have played three to four games high pressure, and Saint Etienne, who have already played a professional game. Um, Brest, you know, they're going to want to, you know, make a, a big splash at the start of the season. So I mean, Moyes talking about four wins out of five games. I. I did this little kind of I did my own little calculation of the first six game if you include Leon as a sixth game. And I'm anticipating that we're gonna get eight points. It's a bad start. But like Mo said, after that you've got a clear run. So if you manage the team right, the squad right, if things go your way, I think once you get past the sixth game, I think you're you're good. You're good to make a good run. Okay. Well one thing to note is that the last few games of the season that we've got are pretty Easy. So if you look from kind of mid March onwards, it's like Brest, Dijon, Lorient, Rams, Rams, sorry, uh, Angers, Metz, Strasbourg. You know, so we've got a lot of easy games towards the end of the season, um, which hopefully will benefit us. It's January that's going to be an absolute killer. Yeah. But one thing I was thinking that looking at those initial six games, right? And maybe this is um, wishful thinking, but you know, if you think Saint Etienne, tough game perhaps, but actually they they've got a lot of problems. You know, they've got a manager that doesn't seem to get along with a lot of the um, top players, right? So they've got internal issues. Um, Leo perhaps are a team that are going to see a huge change in personnel over the summer, um, so they might not. They might have a lot of new players settling in, so they might be a little bit unstable. Can we expect that Paris Saint-Germain or Lyon might be a little bit more tired, given that they've, if they're coming through um, competitive action, you know, the Champions League action, that, that maybe they won't be as fresh? I don't know. Or maybe they'll be more fresh, I'm not sure. But I don't know what they're what, what, what to expect from them, whether that it is possible that, that actually might be a good time to play them. And as you said, Luca, maybe... Paris Saint-Germain might be a little bit too relaxed, you know, at the start of the season, having come out of the Champions League as well. Um, so yeah, I think that there's maybe there's things about those initial games that actually work in our favour. Who knows? Yeah, maybe maybe it works out for us. I mean, we'll, we'll only find out after the sixth game. I think if, if it was a good decision or not. But I agree with it at least. You know, without without 2020 hindsight, I agree with the the decision like the decision to to go quite top heavy from the start. Okay. Um, now, in terms of the Champions League, I haven't seen an awful lot, but I'd seen stuff on uh, online about people talking about us being put in pot four, but I couldn't find anything 
you know that said that was official yet because we don't know. That, we that, don't. That that will almost be a definite. You think? Um, assuming, yeah, yeah. So assuming that some of the teams that caught, you know the only way that will probably be put three, we need at least three of the teams who will enter Champions League qualifying. Um, to to get eliminated um, by lower lower ranked teams, um, at least three. So, you know, Ren getting direct place helps us to a certain extent, but it's going to be it's ninety nine percent sure that we're going to be in pot four, as a consequence, obviously, the fact that we haven't played um, European football um, for well Champions League football for a long time, and also not doing too well in Europe. Uh, generally, I've actually got up. So yeah, I'm. We probably need sort of the likes of Benfica, um, Dinamo Kiev, um, Salzburg, for example, who are going to be entering the qualifying stages to not qualify. Uh, Celtic may be amongst them as well. Um, yeah. Um, so it's it could be it could be a bit challenging. So you're saying that those teams will be part four teams, Benfica, Celtic. No, no, they'll be they'll be in part three. If they qualify, okay. Well, that's not too bad. Then things they haven't actually qualified yet. Um, they they are in the the, the playoff stages of the qualifying rounds. Um, so assuming that they don't qualify and they lose to the likes of, you know, I'm just throwing names out here like Dinamo Zagreb, Slavia Prague, Victoria Pilsen, for example. Um, they lose as a shock result and don't manage to get into the group stages. And those teams who would come in to the Champions League group stage ranked below us, um, only then would we get to sneak in the pot three sort of chance. But since, you know, 24 or 25 teams have already qualified, there's only about seven um, spots still to be defined. It's very, very likely that we're going to um, be in pot four. Yeah, I mean, I I don't have much to... (laughs) To debate about this because I mean it's obviously predictable that we we were going to be pot four or maybe like low top three. And when you look at this the seeding, like what is the difference between pot three teams and pot four teams? You know, if we were pot three, like the teams that we would be getting drawn against in pot four, like they don't scare me any less than what we're going to be drawing in pot three. So for me, it's like a fair and predictable seeding. I mean, you're that you. We always knew that we were going to come. We're going to go into a group from the outside looking in. So there's nothing and, else to expect. I mean, there could be. I mean, we could get. You know, I mean, we'd want we'd want to face at least you know one or two of the big teams as as a prestige. Um, but then no, you know, not no prestige, please. I just want to get through. I don't care. Who uh, I'm you want to get through. I mean, we could we could face the likes of say Zenit, um, Zenit, uh, Sevilla. Um, Olympiacos or and then us, for example, um, it's possible. Everything's possible, but um, you know we've never played Barcelona, and maybe now's the best time to do that. Um, so no, the know. best thing to do <laughs> yeah. is play Zenit. Stop, stop. <laughs> you want to talk about prestige? It pisses me off. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm agreeing with Luca here. Um, so based on what we've seen, I'm not going to mention it because of it. You know, I, I can't say the names, but. Based on what we've seen this week from other French clubs, is there hope for us going into the Champions League next year? Do you think? Can we look at that and say, okay, if they if they can have a run like that, why can't we? Or do you think that's very very um, unrealistic? Um, it's it's it, it could go either way. I mean, we've got a lot of things going for us right now in having um, a very good coach. Um, a happy team, a very stable team. Um, and these are sort of ingredients of success um, for us. Um, and we've got, you know, m- more players coming in. We've got, you know, a, a rather complete squad that's not littered by injuries or exits or whatever. Um, that being said, it's been a very, very long time since we've been challenged by the, the elite teams in the competitive game. Um and we're not going to have the benefit of one-off games next season. Um, but you never know in a group stage. You know, we've done it before. Um, you know, earlier on in, in, in the last decade, um, you know, famous victories um, where we didn't expect, etc. It's It's possible. But for that to happen, we need to be really, really super tight and also have a very identifiable sort of brand of football. You know, we know what we are. We've, we know how to exploit weaknesses. 
where we've got players playing at the top of their games and not the players who, unlike other teams who we were mentioned, who only really do it in the big games, but then they get walloped by sort of the smaller teams on occasion. Um, so we'll find out. We're still pretty early on our journey, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, it's all about it's all about a little bit of luck because we've seen we've seen when we went to Europa League final, we only got through the group stages because because Clinton NG equalized against Konyaspor in the last like last legs. Otherwise, we would have gone out. Leon, who are doing this amazing run, only got through the group stages because Zenit beat Benfica in the last minute when they went down two 0 Like I know it's a little bit of luck, so you can't rule it out. But if we're going to go back to the two-leg system, it's essentially impossible for a team without, especially next year when the, the calendar is going to be so jam-packed, it's virtually impossible for a team to to beat the better team twice. Um, especially if we're talking about, talking about maybe like playing just in one location, so it could be just the the bigger team. It, it would be virtually impossible. Um, but you never know, you know, like that, that, that's, that's what I love about at least this system this year, the, the one leg is you, you never know, like on, on one, it's just 90 minutes between you and the final or semi-final. And it's, that's what's great. If it's the same system, I don't see why not. But like what, like Mo said, and that's what I've been banging on for the past year and people have been hating on me for it, is you have to have, like you said, you have to have an identifiable brand of football that when you come against bigger teams, you just rely on and go back into autopilot, right? Like Leon, you know, we're just going to go up one nil and we're going to just counterattack because we're great at it. In Marseille, what's our, what, what's our brand of football? We just basically play down to the opposition and hope the Pirate scores a goal. That's not going to work against Juventus. That's not going to work against Man City. So based on that observation, I, agree. I think we'll go far. That that being said, uh, I I think... Um... I think I think what UEFA should have done is also do one legs next year in terms of at least knockout stages um, because, it's, it, like you said, it's going to be absolutely jam-packed um, until the Euros and the Euros are going to start on time. Um, so it would have been good to at least have that as sort of a bit of a transition. Um, I would like to see us sort of play in English team because some of the English teams are going to be absolutely to their neck in fixtures, um, obviously with two domestic cups. Um, qualifying, Premier League's going to be starting late, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, as you can see, you know, PSG and Lyon have um, benefited, or in some way, at the very least, um, of of a prolonged rest, um, and it's maybe worked out in their favour. You know, it's the teams who started in June, July, uh, or finished in July, who have all been eliminated, um, and that's why the German and French teams are probably maybe still in. It might be a factor. Um, so. You know, if we do navigate that group stage and it becomes one-off, yeah, I think I think maybe you never know, but yeah, we need we need identity, we need um, plan Bs. You know, for right now, I don't think we've had plan Bs um, for for a long time in this team. You know, where things are going bad. Um, you know, we've been very fortunate, and luck will play a part. But we've been very fortunate where things have eventually gone our way after we continue to press, press and persevere. Um, but yeah, the Champions League is going to be a different kettle of fish. And for one, I just don't want to be embarrassed. I think what we need is footballing IQ to be very, very high. And in Marseille, it can be anywhere between sort of mediocre to just about above mediocre, to be honest. Um, we need players who 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 are you know very experienced in handling those top occasions and not, not rely on, you know, one player or 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 and then and then four to pieces where that player's um you know injured as we did last year with Payet. Um and obviously compared to twenty thirteen we're playing with youngsters who who never really um had the handle of the big game. So it's this big expectation. And maybe the fans not being there might have a positive impact. So when things go a little bit badly, um they've got sort of space to think and remedy the situation rather than being sort of hounded out. Um, but yeah, we whatever whatever we had whatever we had last year in terms in our arsenal, um, in terms of ability, we're going to need at least double um, for for the Champions League, and I hope the players recognise that um, and know it's going to be very very tough. You know what scares me to shit though is what ADB said after Bayern 
who said that because we're going to play Champions League, he was trying out a new system, playing a bit like a lot lower, like a lot deeper in the in the field and playing counter attack. That scares me because we don't have the players to do that. We don't have the DNA to be able to park the bus. And apart from Ronich, we have nobody that can outrun anyone. Okay. Um, so I want your predictions for the Champions League briefly. Yeah, where do you think we're going to get to? Well, that'll depend on who we face, isn't it? But I'm, I'm, I'm thinking a group stage exit, hopefully to Europa League, not bottom. Yeah. I think, I think that would be that would represent, uh, I, I, you know, that would represent probably a good outcome to finish third and go into Europa League, and then maybe go a little bit deep into the Europa League. Um, that would be that would be good. Um, second and the last sixteen exit would definitely do me very very well but the most important thing for me is to i I not finish bottom but also make sure that we definitely qualify next year um for the 2021 edition okay um i think i'd agree with you both there yeah i think um third place is probably a successful campaign if if we can get there and um a decent run at the europa league i'd be happy with Obviously, we all want to be able to get to the knockout stages of the Champions League, but I think we've got a squad that just, as you said, is so reliant on Dimitri Payet, and we've got we've brought in these young players that we don't really know if, how they'll perform. We don't think they might be ready for that kind of level yet either, so we can't imagine that they can make too much of an impact at the Champions League level just yet so yeah I think third place would be a good outcome but who knows like let's just hope that we get a good draw and and we can we make that we can surprise ourselves but yeah my fear is just having another year like we did I think the last time we were in the Champions League when Eli Bope was the manager and we lost all our games that especially given the campaigns that um, our rivals have had um, this this season, um, I think it would just be really embarrassing for us, and we'll get so much so much stick for for doing so poorly. So that's the the, the thing. I yeah, and no no talks about prestige, please. Um, I'm pretty sure people who played when we played Arsenal, um, Napoli, and Dortmund, I'm pretty sure at the end of the group stages, nobody was like, "Oh, but we played good teams at least." <laughs> yeah. Okay. So just um, flipping it back to Ligue 1 for for. A moment. Um, Ken, I just wanted to, uh, yeah, think about what you think our season's going to look like in terms of performance. Do you, yeah, what are you, where do you see us um, finishing at the end of the league and season? At least now, I know we don't know what a final squad's going to look like and stuff like that, but yeah, what's your initial thoughts on how we'll perform? Um, it's it's going to be tough. Um, because um, you know the other teams are looking relatively um, strong. I mean, Leon are obviously doing very, very well now, and will benefit from increased revenues from their current exploits. Um, and they're not going to be as worse off as they imagined they would be probably in March. Um, I probably would attract a couple of players anyway as well. Um, I'm not worried about the early start as much. I'm worried about after Christmas the most because that is going to be a very very tough um running it's going to be you know playing Nantes away Leon away Lille away um you know in in, in February um I think Paris Saint-Germain ran as well um all between all in that sort of five six week period and we had that this year you know where we played Ren off the bat where then we played you know we lost to uh, Nantes we lost to Leon in the cup um we narrowly beat Lille you know it was a very topsy-turvy situation um and by then we don't really know sort of what situation the world's going to be in obviously given covid you know whether the league is still going to be sort of active or whether the players our players are going to be on 100 clear obviously if we don't suffer injuries etc or, or some sort of burnout after continuous champions league games and for some of our senior players internationals as well um but we should finish in the top three um this season um and and we have to. I mean, I don't exactly know um, if we don't, you know, what plan do we have? You know, this is the level we've 
really pulled ourselves up to with great difficulty over the last 18 months. And now we are here. We need to stay here. Um, and it's going to be tough, obviously, because a lot of you know, the teams who didn't get as far, um, obviously, Leon are not in the Champions League next year. Um, Monaco are also at sixes and sevens. So it's going to be a, a massive fight. Um, but like I said earlier, we've got the tools to really do it. We've got uh, the most stable squad, the happiest squad, maybe not the most talented uh, that we've had for, for a long time. So it's very important. Obviously, I think we need to answer that question again um, in October once the transfer window is closed because we might lose one or two players. Um, don't jinx it, whether they're not in the Champions League next season yet. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead with that. I'm still going to, I'm very confident. Um, so who, who, which teams do you think are a threat then? Who are we going to be challenge? Who's going to be challenges challenging us? Sorry for that top three finish. Is there anyone we need to look out for that you're worried about? Um, I think well, I think that the main challenge is aside of PSG, who are probably going to finish top again. You're looking at Lyon, who already have a head start and they're not going to play Champions League, so they're going to have a massive bonus in terms of fitness. Again, don't jinx it, please. If they beat Bayern, they can win the Champions League. That's all I'm going to say. They're not going to beat Bayern. That's exactly. So, so they, they will have... So, obviously, Lyon can have a massive boost compared to us. Um, you know, midway through seasons, they're going to have a big let-off. Um, and after that, after that, a bit of a brawl between Lille, who I don't believe in. I don't believe in Lille at all. Um, Ren, who I don't believe in, and Monaco. So I think we're going to be probably fighting for the third spot. Um, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how we're going to do about. I don't know how we're going to fare. I'm expecting for us to finish at least fourth uh, to clinch an automatic Europa League position, um, and you know, plus minus one spot, um, fifth or third if we're lucky. But I don't see us doing better than than Leon given the current circumstances. And I mean, definitely not going to, you know, like overachieve that much and and get over PSG. So four for me is probably the the a, a nice fair prediction. Well, I'd be pretty disappointed if we finish fourth after finishing second this season because I think that we need to um, make finishing in the top three our you know level really. We that, that we need to consistently finish in the top three every season. I think it's not good enough to not do that. And now that we've done it last season, I, I agree. I agree. We need to, but we don't have any money. We've literally spent zero pounds on this transfer window. No, I, I I agree. But I'm just saying, I would think that would be a disappointment if we didn't finish in the top three. But yeah, I agree. Like PSG, obviously, are going to win it. Um, Leon, looking at how they're playing right now, I mean, they're a better team than us. You, we can't deny that they are a better team than us. But then Leon in the Champions League is different from Leon and and Ligan. They're not going to be able to sit back and and defend and soak up pressure and counter attack teams all season in the French league. So they might not be able to perform in the same way. Who knows? But looking at how they have played recently, then I think then you would expect them to be number two. Um, but we don't. I don't know what to expect from Monaco. Actually, I don't know. With a new manager, depends on who they bring in, and you know, as you said, Leo's such a—I don't know—they're such a like unstable club. I, I, you never know what you're going to get with them either. I think that there's—that's one of the problems with with um, the French teams this summer is the lack of activity in terms of bringing players and selling players. And we know that French clubs generally sell a lot in the summer and um, have to. Um, replace a lot of their star players, and because of other uh, leagues not, you know, transfer periods not being open, um, they've not yet been raided. But yet we had that period where the French um, clubs were able to to trade between themselves, and they never, no one's really kind of taken advantage of it. So we just don't know what these teams are going to look like um, throughout the season. So it's kind of hard to predict. But I think um, third, we should be aiming for third. If we don't finish third, I'd be disappointed. But we could end up in like sixth or seventh easily, I think. Um, yeah, no, I've just actually, just some news came in. Um, there's potentially three new cases at OM. Um, which oh, would probably... Thank God we've got a plan for that. <laughs> yeah, which probably... Um, 
yeah, puts Friday's match into question. Um, considering it looks like it's spreading. Um, Who knew? Oh dear, so that, you would have that doesn't surprise me whatsoever. Um, obviously, given the current context of what we've been discussing, um, I suppose they suspected for now, but obviously with these things, you know, they end up being confirmed. Um, so you never know. We will, we will see. I mean, that's exactly what we were talking about um, early on in the podcast about, you know, missing games. I mean, like Steph, you said, what if these three players are, are first teamers, like very, very key um, first teamers? Um, what sort of position that we, would we be in? Uh, and yeah, we're, we're five nights out from the first game of the season. Ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. That actually was what I was wanting to ask you about next was just the game on Friday against Entertain. <clears throat> what our predictions were for that match. If it goes ahead, which is starting to look in doubt, um, if it does go ahead, what, what are we thinking? What are we expecting? Um, given Sanitian were in the sort of position they were in, you know, we are at home, we yeah, we've got a complete. Well, we would have had uh, a complete squad with obviously no major departures, um, and Sanity are still in the mess and finding themselves. Um, and you know they've got such an appalling record at the Velodrome. Not that home advantage really matters in times like this, but I would expect very much expect a victory. Yeah, um, I think we're going to have a very sluggish start, especially against like a team that's that's got professional football under their legs. Um, but like it seems like again we talk it every year. It seems like we've got some kind of like like juju over um, Santichen, where we just seem to beat them every time at the Velodrome. So we'll, we'll win, but a depressing Villas Boesque win of one nil. I'm going to agree with you actually, Lucky. I was going to say one nil as well. Um, I thought Santichen were pretty. Should you should always agree with me. <laughs> I thought Santichen were pretty good actually against uh, Paris Saint Germain. I thought they were kind of unlucky. Um, yeah, I think one nil is uh, is realistic, depending on you know how fresh we look actually, because I'm I'm not really too sure with the lack of um, action recently, but yeah, I say one nil, and maybe it also depends on if we do have additional cases, what players are missing. So if we're losing key players like Payet, Tovan, then I think it will be tough. But uh, if most, yeah. Well, actually, sorry, one thing that I'm really interested in seeing is how Tovan's doing. Because when he came in against Angers in, his la- in the last, was it Angers or Amiens? Amiens, in the last game before, before the league stopped, he came in in 80th minute and then the, the preseason games. For me, he, he doesn't look the same. He looks very, like, it looks like he's just completely out of gas, but not out of like physical fitness he just looks like his body's just not able to make the the kind of dribbling because he's never been a fast guy but he's always been able to make the move make the you know the, the like the the dribbling to just to get rid of the like get the separation two meters to get a shot in and honestly he hasn't been able to get that against like ridiculously poor teams he just looked like mediocre so I'm very interested to see what he's what he's going to do in a, in, a, in a meaningful game because I'm I'm worried to be honest. Pre-season though, and he's been out for a long time. I think it's going to take him some time to get back to his level. But at his age, he should be he should be young enough to be able to return to maybe not the same level because perhaps he's already peaked. But he should be young enough to be able to get back to a good level. I would think in time. I don't know. I'm worried. Well, you didn't actually give a score, so Luke and I went for one 0 what, what are you going for? Um, well, I was looking. I, mean, I was I was initially going to say at least two 0 but it might now be AA um, for abandonment. So, <laughs> okay, yes. fair enough. That's a fair <laughs> prediction. It's probably the most accurate one. Okay, so I think that's probably us done for uh, the season. And there's a couple of quick topics. Just if we get time in the final minutes, we can just cover quickly so um, the big one is probably the appointment of Pablo Longoria from uh, former Valencia sporting director so he's come in as the new head of football I think we talked about him a couple of podcasts back because when his name was mentioned as a potential um, candidate to replace Subi Zareta 
Um, are we happy with his appointment? Have we got any thoughts about him and what he might be able to offer? I've got no thoughts about him. Is it? I mean, I'm not going to act like I knew him before. I had no idea who he was. Um, he seemed to to do like just from literally just Wikipedia. He seemed to be involved in like clubs that do a lot of transfers in and out. It doesn't sound like that's what Marseille does. So I don't know how he's going to adapt to the environment. But honestly, let's just see what he does. <laughs> I've got no no particular opinion on him. Um, yeah, uh, he's, he's, he seems like obviously a very smart guy, but he was his period at Valencia was quite tumultuous. Now, obviously, his work is in ruins. Given Valencia have sold the, you know, might as well have sold um, everything about the kitchen sink now uh, to their rivals. And I think he left because there was a disagreement with the club and the fact that he was not able to put his ideas across. Um, at the end of the day, first of all, um, he, he needs to understand obviously French League very, very well if he's going to succeed because not only is he going to be responsible for, you know, the head of football is quite a big remit. So he's going to be responsible for everything from the youth centre upwards, uh, recruitment, everything, technical stuff. Um, probably a wide remit than what Zubi had. Um, and there's not exactly a massive track record of success, even though he's worked for some very illustrious clubs. I think had a period at Newcastle, Juventus, Atlanta as well as Valencia, which is obviously very, very good. Um, and AVB seems to have known him from, from before as well. Um, but on the other hand, you know, if we're not able to give him what he needs to work, whether that is funds or whether that is like, you know, good scope or remit or really let him work in peace to develop his ideas and not get involved, etc. Um, unlike, you know, what, you know, Zubi, perhaps felt like he was capped at the beginning, um, whether Rudy Garcia had maybe too much power or whether he was just doing nothing. You know, sporting directors can be a very poison chalice um, because you're not really giving a manager 100%, but also um, the, the board or the, you know, direct, the, manager, the president, rather, he obviously needs to give Longoria space to work and um, and act upon his recruit, um, act upon his, you know, recruitment advice and everything. But, you know, what, what we've already shown over the last two, three years is that Irwood is not a football man. Um, and he probably um, is not really getting there after three years in the job. Uh, but it seems like a very good um, plan to have two guys who are responsible for overseeing uh, quite a large section of the club, one for business, one for football. Um, so we should see. Like, I think it's probably a very high-profile job for someone who's, I think, in his early 30s, who, despite uh, having a good recent record, has no experience of essentially being responsible for everything in a major European football club. Um, but let's see. Um, I think this is a model that Arsenal once had, although they've, they've chucked it away this weekend. You know, they had um, one, some, somebody responsible for, for business, somebody responsible for football who was in charge of sporting director and then the manager although they've sacked him this weekend. So I'm not exactly sure what to, what to take from it, but I wish him well. Obviously, he, he probably knows the missteps that Zuba Zeretta had done, but also the achievements of Zuba Zeretta, such as the formation, um, the, young, yeah, the young kids. Um, so, yeah, obviously, given this COVID world, we don't really know whether he's going to hit the ground running, uh, but let's see. Let's see over the next season. Okay. Um, I'm kind of probably thinking more like Luca, I just don't really know the guy. I didn't hadn't heard of him before this. Um but what I do what does what does worry me is his age a little bit and his lack of experience and also the the fact that he's never he's never been a football player and I know that doesn't matter with always with these kind of roles but it just worries me the fact that he's never been a footballer and he's been in the game in you know, in the, the the sense that he is involved as scout, sporting director, whatever, for such a short time, I just think it's a lot of responsibility he's got for someone who we just don't really know how much he really knows about football and organising a club and and structuring it from top to bottom. So that kind of frightens me a little bit. But let's hope that he's some sort of football genius that turns out to know what he's doing and implement a system that, you know, provides long-term success for Marseille 
Um, we'll see. But yeah, it's a strange appointment, I think, in some ways. But perhaps one on paper that looks kind of interesting because you've got this sort of young, foreign, maybe possibly dynamic. I don't know really much about his personality, but you know, it's, it, it seems fresh and new. Um, rather than bringing in some sort of old has-been. Um, so, yeah, who knows? We'll see. Um, but I'm not I'm not too sure. Um, so, so we're kind of running out of time, actually. Um, I'm, so I'll just ask you one more question, really, and it was just sort of related to the Mercato. So uh, Vilas Boas has just um, said recently that he still wants to bring in some more players. Um, he says that if they're not able to sell... Um, then they'll look at loan deals or free transfers. And he's talked about wanting to bring in, I think, a left-back and a striker. Um, possibly also a midfielder, I think, has been mentioned as well. Um, what are you expecting, guys? And is there anyone in particular that you you can see us bringing in? Because I know we've not seen a lot of links, really, recently. The transfer stories have been pretty quiet. So what are your expectations for the rest of the Mercato? I think what would it, it depends very quickly. I think it, it depends on who's available in October because we're going to have a bit of a weird transfer window when all the other transfer windows are going to be closed or closing. Um, but I'm not expecting... I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't bring anyone in, to be honest. I, I, I find it quite funny how Villas-Boas is still flexing his muscles, saying, you know, we're going to need these players, these players. He's he's shown what well, he's admitted that by not following through with his Zubizarreta promise or by you know saying I'm leaving if I don't get any recruits in the summer he said that in in the winter and he didn't I think he just showed the the board that it's empty threats so we don't have any cash and I don't see why the board would kind of kind of go into debt out of their way to please someone who's not following through on 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 the threats that have been made in the past so I don't see anyone coming in we've got three strikers not ideal strikers but we've got three strikers um we still have rocky at the club i say why not give him a go uh, but i'm not hopeful on bringing anyone in october now yeah okay Mo, what about you what, what do you think we'll see um as the before the macato closes i agree with lucas that it's unlikely that we're going to probably see anybody october um that being said obviously if there's good going to be a departure we need uh like for like probably better or more valuable um replacement um with smart scouting and smart identification i think that the signings of Belledi and uh gay um were a good start um we definitely need and uvb has probably said that we definitely need a left-sided defender one that can play um left wing and at center back probably like jeremy morrell obviously a lot better though um, that would be very, very useful to have for, um, for 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 facility and obviously for the Champions League because I we might as well kiss third place or whatever goodbye in in the Champions League if we're going to be relying on Hiroki Sakai at left back um, because it's just not going to happen. You know, we we are chopping and changing too much. You know, our second best left back is our second right back and our and our best first right back is somebody that used to be an ex attacking midfielder. It just doesn't make sense. We need players who are very key and, you know, very good at their position. Um, and we need a striker, um, a, you know, a striker who is versatile, a striker who, who, who can really lead the line by himself if required, because Valer Germain, as we probably all really know now, um, is not going to be that person. Um, but we also I need... Costas. Costas. I mean, Costas is obviously out on his way out. Um, probably doesn't want to stick around anymore um, after being publicly shamed. But um, yeah, he's, it's, we need we need somebody else, and I think we really need to use a loan market very well because there's going to be a lot of teams who have got excess players who, who obviously given the current saturation of the market, might not want um, to keep players on board. So we could find a couple of really really good deals there, and, and then you know really. Is the option um, of future success and pay them like next summer or whatever is really what worked for us very, very well. Um, but left back and striker for sure. Okay. Um, I think I would just say that I agree again with Luca and <laughs> don't get don't get too big headed. Um, is that the yeah, it's strange that we've not seen Rocky here. 
Um, I really was hoping to see him this summer, um, see you know him coming back from a loan spell at Social, if he was up to the level to support Amavi. But AVB just doesn't seem to be willing to give him a shot, it seems. I know he might have been injured before, but he had a chance to play him in the last game against, it was at Neem, and he didn't play him. And we keep seeing Kawi come on at left-back, and I really don't want to see Kawi playing at left-back um, over the season. That is just, that terrifies me. So, no, um, we need a left-back, or we need to give a chance to the one that we've got. And in terms of the striker, I agree, that's the, the position we need to bring in, and German doesn't seem to be the man anymore. But as, as you said, we don't get any money more, and it's hard to imagine how we'd be able to bring anyone in unless we're able to pull off a real coup in terms of a loan deal. I've seen recently we were linked with this young Mexican forward, Macias, who um, looks pretty interesting, but there's no way we've, we're going to be able to bring someone like that in. If, you know, if other clubs are sniffing around them and they're young and talented, then they're going to cost money and we just don't have any. So it does look like we might find ourselves not bringing anyone in unless we start making some major sales soon so I can't I can't um, allow myself to be too hopeful of seeing much fresh blood come in over the sort of coming weeks so yeah I think it'll be quiet um, so yeah I think with that then we'll, we'll probably just end up tonight I think we've covered everything we we're going to cover so thank you guys for 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 tonight and thanks everyone for listening thank you thank you well hopefully we'll have another one next week to see maybe if we play the game if if our whole team is still uh covid free but <laughs> we'll find out i guess yeah i hope so like yeah, i do hope we get an, a game against entertain this weekend I've been, next weekend i've been really looking forward to it so yeah fingers crossed all right thanks very much guys all right see you guys see you guys next thanks. week see you good night everyone